You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. How's it going, lads? What's the crack? Summertime and the living is easy, am I right, boys? <laughs> no, so easy, so summery. Yeah. I thought you said no. I thought you were disagreeing with me. I was like, oh no, this is taking a dark turn already. Life is not easy. Life is the hardest thing we'd all do. Well, the, Very true. The, the veil of summer has been drawn over our eyes and we're experiencing a whole <coughs> standard format. Oh, oh yes, I like it. That was the best thing. Ah, oh, sure. <laughs> uh, you might hear a few random bangs in the background of my audio here because the lads next door are throwing, throwing up a building. So sorry for that. If, uh, if it disturbs your listening, um, they're being particularly loud today. Uh, so today we're going to talk about uh, the new standard format, of course, as I mentioned. And we're also going to look at Limited. So Al, I think, is the only one who's played any Limited. So he'll, he'll give us his impressions. Kieran, I don't know actually if you have or not. I played one sealed on uh, Arena and did not have a good time. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh. Looks if I if well God if if I am our limited expert this week then um, hell has frozen over. Indeed, it has. Um, and we'll have a tournament report uh, from the Red Bull Untapped tournaments from from both of you, two different because you're you were both in different tournaments. Uh, and we'll kick it off with a quick discussion of what we think is going to happen in tomorrow's BNR. So the ban and restriction announcement is coming tomorrow. Well, tomorrow for us, it'll probably be the same day as you hear this podcast, if you're a listener. And uh, what what do you guys think could happen? So modern, I assume, is is where we're looking for most of the changes. Yeah. So I think they yeah. everyone knows that the that this Hogak stuff is is on the radar for bans. Um, it's just been absolutely everywhere in Magic Online consistently every weekend. It's been performing hugely at the top levels in, in the Magic Online challenges. Like I think it's been like. I think the last one, it was like something like it was like almost half the decks in the top 16 or something like that were Hogak decks, which is fairly outrageous. Um, so I think that's the main target. People know that something is likely going to go from that deck, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the starting point of the discussion. Sure. So what, what do you think specifically from the deck is on the chopping block? Hogak himself? Yeah, so I think the options are Hogak, Faithless Looting, or Bridge from Below. I think are, are the three most likely ones for them to get rid of. I think like Hogak kind of cleanly just deals with the with the deck as a whole, right? It just removes this this whole new problem entirely. And it doesn't affect any other decks that use these other cards. So that's an option. At the same time, I don't know if they want to just ban a new rare that they just printed like five minutes ago. So like that could be kind of an issue for them to do that. Um I think Faithless Looting has been on has been on the watch list for like a long time. Everybody always talks about it. A lot of different decks use it. Some use it more fairly than others. Like I've talked about how I want this card to be banned before. This might be the time for that card to go, but it does hit a lot of other decks as well. Like it hits Dredge, it hits Phoenix, you know, Marty Pyromancer, when that comes and goes, if people want to play that. So I don't know about that. Uh, bridge from Below is basically a card that would kill this deck, this Bridge Fine deck, um, not really affect any other decks. And the reasoning for this is that basically every time people play Bridge from Below, it's just in one of these unfair decks 
it never you're never playing fair magic with bridge from below to be honest right you're never just trying to make a couple of zombies and 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 grind your way to victory in like a zombie tribal deck or something like that you're always just trying to go off and flip your whole deck over and and win on the same turn in some kind of ridiculous combo so that so that's another option so like bridge from below is just kind of an egregiously (coughs) designed magic card um so that would be kind of an easy one to get rid of it's another one of these weird future side cards that like you know to be honest maybe should have never been printed in the first place um personally i would like to see the deck get weakened because i think hogak is a really cool design and i would like to see it stick around in modern but just not be as absolutely ridiculous as it is now so personally i would like to see faithless looting finally go on the chopping block uh and even if it hits these other decks i think i think that would be what i would like to see what, what do you guys think yeah i, I agree with the, with the majority majority of that i feel like um yeah it would, it would be strange to, to ban Hogak for those reasons and yeah, like, I think Bridge from Below is because <laughs> it is a strange magic card in terms of it's a, it's a card that you don't cast. Um, I think it's like show this card to a new player and they'd be like, "What?" Um, I think similar argument can be made for Alternative Alternative Dementia. Um, I guess the Alternative Dementia is also inherently going to be doing unfair stuff. Um, so I suppose like Bridge from Below that would kill, like we we have seen other uh, Bridge Line decks before, which I guess before Hogak they weren't necessarily you know edit control. Um, so maybe. Banning Ultra Dimension uh, might have less splash, dam- splash damage uh, on uh, potential other decks. Uh, I guess that, that is one argument that could be made for banning Ultra Dimension, but I think I would, would agree with banning Bridge from Below just because just because it's it's so stupid. <laughs> I, I can't put it any other way than that. Uh, yeah, I have I, the. Um, I mean, the card literally has no text on it if it's on the battlefield and it's an enchantment. Like That's just very silly. Yeah. Uh, I just had to gather a page open for it, and one of the rulings is um, while Bridge from Below is on the battlefield, it has no effect. It does something only if it's in a graveyard. Yes, this is a bit weird. Yeah, classic gather humor. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so fucking burn this bridge. Yeah, very good. I like it. Yeah, I think that um, I think it's a difficult one, and I think you're right that they probably don't want to ban Hogak uh, because they they just printed it. But I mean, Hogak really is the core of the deck, and I think even if you got rid of Faithless Looting. Like the 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 most busted draws of the deck are still there, right? Like it's like Stitcher Supplier on one into like a carrying feeder and a Stitcher Supplier on two. That's that's like the the most busted draw, right? It is, but like I think that's okay as long as you don't have four more Stitcher Suppliers in Faithless Looting. Like if you have eight copies of of getting to mill stuff into the graveyard on turn one, that's that's kind of the problem is that that's what's making it so consistent. So if you only have four copies of a card that you can get in your opening hand that that gives you that turn one, you know, start to your engine, I think maybe that's okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. So yeah, maybe they'd do that if they're just happy if they're just happy dropping the consistency of the deck, but maybe if they don't want the deck to exist at all, then they're going to need to ban either Bridge or Hogak itself. Um had a great quote from Andrea Mangucci yesterday. From the Red Bull Untapped Tournament, which was uh, attended by Eamon Sharpson, friend of the podcast, uh, did very well as, as well. Uh, so we had a quote from from Andre Mangucci, who top aided the event. That Hogak is a it's a free <laughs> it's a free it's a zero mana eight eight with trample, which is very true. It's a a great sentence to describe Hogak. Yeah, so as as you said, it's a zero mana eight eight with trample, which is absolutely ridiculous. And sometimes you don't even need it to be that. Sometimes it's just an enabler card that lets you mill your entire deck and then their entire deck on turn three and deck them without even dealing a point of damage, even though it's also a, a zero mana eight eight trample. Like it's outrageous. Yeah, it's really ridiculous. I th- I think they should just ban the whole thing. Every card in the deck banned. 
even swamp. Yeah, I, I, even what? No, not by swamps. Yeah, swamp, swamp is banned. Banned in modern. So something I was thinking now, um, now this is a thought I haven't completely thought through, so I'm going to go all in and say this is the truth. Um, yeah, so it's very easy to, to a, a very quick argument against banning fake disputing is, oh, it's going to affect so many of your decks, you know, it's going to have a lot of yeah, splash damage. Uh, so I think that's you know, one reason why they may not consider uh, banning fake disputing. But uh, I guess, like, wizards don't like, don't like it. I'm sure, presumably they want to avoid having to ban cards, you know, in general, because it's like, it's it kind of, it's, they, they prefer to have a healthy better game where your cards don't need to be banned. So I feel like if if fake disputing was banned, yes, it would be bad because it'd have all the splash damage. But I guess it's like it would it would stop so much unfair stuff from happening in modern that maybe you know <laughs> you might need to ban another thing for a very long time. Yeah, I agree with that. Like <laughs> it's just it's just such a silly card, you know what I mean? And it's like it's so rare that people do fair things with it. And I I don't know. I just don't like the direction it puts modern. Like graveyards are just too good in modern, and they're too important. And I wish that was not the case you know what i mean like i would i think it would be a much better format if snapcaster mage was the best thing you could do at your graveyard yeah yeah agreed all right so wish shall we place our bets on what's actually going to be banned i'm going to bet that they're going to ban uh fateless dueling and bridge from below i think that because for some reason so far they've been incredibly reticent to ban faithless looting and for some reason they just seem to not want to ban it i think they'll ban bridge from below and that's it okay so since David said the word bet or betting, are we betting what we want? Are we saying what we want to happen or what we think actually will happen? What we think actually uh, will happen. Okay, I think there's going to be no changes and everyone's going to be very upset. <laughs> really? I think, yeah, well, it's, it's, I think it's a strong possibility that, that they, um, we, we've seen them ignore shit like this in the, in the past, um, that they, they have waited until things got very, very bad uh, to ban stuff before. Um, yeah, I can, it's, I can it's, it's entirely possible that uh, they're going to say no changes. People are going to be upset. Articles will be written. People will say magic is dead. Um, and but then... they have um, they do have a, mo- a modern pro tour coming later in the month. So do they want this in the feature match area at the, the whole time at the pro tour? I mean, they don't. But <laughs> I don't think they should. Uh, but uh, I mean, you know, they could they could very much say, oh well, you know, people have been practicing for this modern pro tour. We don't want to disturb the pros by by having introducing a ban um, and change the format so quickly. That's very true. That's actually a good point. I mean. Yeah, it's I, I I definitely don't want it to be the case, but um, it's something I can see happening. Um, I'm just ignoring this. Yeah, you might be right because especially because it's a uh, Modern Horizons came out so recently. This so they'd be like, oh, we're gonna wait for the format to settle. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it is approach like isn't Hogak approaching like twenty percent of the metagame? I think that's usually like the threshold where they where they take some kind of action. Yeah, and I mean it's just like the power level. Like I think it's the best deck since Eldrazi since Eldrazi Winter, right? Like, people are playing, like, seven anti-graveyard cards in their sideboards and still losing to the deck. Like, it's such a problem. Uh, people yeah. are also playing uh, anti, anti-graveyard anti cards in their main deck. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's been a thing on and off for a while, which is just a problem with Modern in general, and to me, that's another reason why we should hit Faithless Looting, because it's always about Faithless Looting when that happens. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, MTG Goldfish has has the Hogak deck at just under 10% of the metagame. So maybe maybe it's not as bad as I thought. I think online and um, offline are like a little bit different though. Like they are very new cards. Like I ordered Hogaks when they came out and they only arrived like last week for me. So there is a possibility that people haven't been able to get them as easy in paper. That's true. There's also still a lot of Is a Phoenix running around. Yeah, it won the Red Bull tournament. Yep. And it's another Fatalist looting deck that could probably 
I mean, that's one of the fairer decks, but that was like the, the boogeyman of modern for a while there, right? And it's a faithless looting deck. Yeah. Before that, Dredge was the boogeyman of modern. That was a faithless looting deck. Like for a while, fucking Mardu Pyromancer, people thought was the best deck. That was a Faithless Looting deck. Grixis Shadow, people started playing Faithless Looting, even though it was already a good deck. Like when was the last time we had a long period where the best deck in Modern wasn't a Faithless deck? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll drive to Winter. Like come back to your first point, that probably, that probably was the last time. Um, the the only yeah, I, I don't think in, I don't think in, in the period I've been playing Modern, um, the number one deck hasn't had Faithless. Well, I think you know Humans has been on and off the best deck in modern for well since it was created and that doesn't use faithless looting but that's a bit different that's true that's true yeah but still maybe modern always shifts but i'm just saying like when is you know it always comes back to faithless looting very very often yeah yeah very true all right well uh we eagerly anticipate the announcement uh in order to see which of us is correct i guess that'll move us on to limited so maybe i'll take over from here Oh yes, <clears throat> I'm currently looking at a seal pool upon my monitor and struggling. Um, <laughs> yes, well, I attended pre-release. <laughs> is, is that the kind of update you want? Um, yes. Uh, I pretended a pre-release in Gamers World on Saturday, uh, which was yesterday, which doesn't mean anything to listeners this and this during the week. So uh, Saturday is the day I'll say. Uh, on Saturday, I attended pre-release. Um, I yes, yeah, so I guess oh, my my pool. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I guess initially my my first impression of my pool was that it was quite weak. Um, you know, I, I was kind of you know, Doing the usual, so sorting cards into colors and going through each color and just you know, making piles of you know playable, unplayable. Um, it seemed like my pile of kind of cards I didn't want to play were you know, was quite large for each color. And then, um, then I realized that oh, I guess you know maybe just the, the power level of this format is maybe the power level of this format is just lower than, than I, I had anticipated. Um, so it's kind of you know, reassessing. I guess kind of kind of reassessing um, the strength of cards uh, based on I guess a different a different baseline. Um, so I guess kind of in terms of building, I guess one thing I struggled with was um, so I, I guess yeah, the myth thing I opened was a Jani. Uh, so I guess when I looked at a Jani, I kind of um, like I knew I wanted to play it, but um, my the white of my pool was very very weak. Um, and I guess I was like you know sometimes sometimes you get you know uh, a myth of rare that's a rare myth of rare that's just so busted you just do whatever you can to play it, even if the rest of that color is weak. It's like you know there's some in the past and in, in formats in the past there have been some uh, yeah there there, there have been some bombs that. You just play, you, know, you you play a weak deck with a good bomb uh, if the bomb is good enough. Uh, so I guess I didn't evaluate Jani like that. I, I kind of felt like here I can't just fly playing a Jani because my white's so bad. Um, so I ended up not playing a Jani, which I, th- I think probably was a mistake that maybe Jani is like, that good. Um, then I ended up playing just a, a, you know, like a, a just a Kirby green green uh, green red deck. Uh, I had a wombo combo of uh, two cards whose names I actually cannot remember. Uh, bag of holding, uh, <laughs> bag of holding is bananas. Um, and I had a um, oh, there's a, it's a two four minute or with charge. Do you know what it's called? Charge, uh, smelt ward. Min- Not charge, sorry. I think it's called Space. smelt ward minotaur. Uh, yeah, smelt ward, smelt ward minotaur. So um, yeah, that's what that deals one. So as yeah, as availability, you can loot or yeah, you can rummage uh, when it's stacking by paying two mana, and you can also uh, you can also it also does one damage for every card you discard. So if you have that on a, on the battlefield with um bag of holding, uh, you're just <laughs> you're just doing damage every turn. And um, I felt like there's there games where I had a bag of holding on turn one, I, and I just felt absolutely unbeatable. Um, because like, battle, your bag of holding yeah, is, is a cheap um, loot effect. Uh, but it's also like, there, there's games where I was like kind of slightly ahead on board, and I was just like looting every turn. And then I was just thinking like, God, if I, as it's come to the late game, I was just thinking, you know, if, if anything happens and I start to fall behind, I can just tap four lands and draw, you know, 10 cards off this, off this bag of holding. Uh, it's, it's, this is pretty nuts. Um, so I feel like, 
you know, it's it's in terms of limited bombs back holding, it's not quite the it's not quite Glorybringer, but it's pretty close to Glorybringer in terms of uh, how insanely powerful it is. So, wow. would w- would you would you routinely have that many under there? Like, w- would you would you often have like a fair few cards in the bag of holding? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think during so I suppose the way the games went turned out was, um, I mean, <laughs> you just feel very good when you're playing on turn one. It's like playing anywhere else in turn one. Um, you feel very good when you're playing on turn one. Um, let's say from turns two to four, you're, you your ideally you just want to curve out. Uh, you generally just casting spells in those turns. From turns, let's say you know, five to seven, it's like you're a lot of the time you're just discarding lands, and then when that's happening, you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm not really, you know, I'm putting these lands in the bag of holding. It's not really, um, it's, I'm not really going to get paid off if I do. I will pay for mana to crack the bag and take the cards out. Then you know, by the time it gets to the late game, and you're just drilling through your deck, uh, you're getting so much value from the loot anyway, because um, you know it's the, the the cost of looting obviously decreases as as the game goes on in terms of the proportion of mana you're tapping. Um, so you're still you know, once you have what say you know six seven lands out, you're you're still presenting threats. You're still and you know, you're still presenting threats and answering threats while it's looting every turn. Um, yeah, and then you know either <laughs> either the game is over and you win, or you can just tap four lands and then get yeah about seven cards back. It's interesting because bag of holding is definitely a card that I would look at in a seal pool and just completely dismiss immediately. Like I'm I'm just trying to think, would I play would I play an artifact that was just one mana and then to tap loot and i just i don't think i would have played that in the past it's kind of i mean it'd be the same as uh, a creature that did that and i don't know like i would sometimes play that creature depending on the stats i guess but then not yeah. always play the artifact that did the same thing so i guess maybe the, uh, the i suppose the the looting helps you maybe prolong the game because you can draw out your answers and then which benefits you because you're you'll have time to crack the bag of holding so I suppose that that synergy yeah. nicely there. Yeah, exactly. And, and maybe this is just kind of um, maybe what you're saying is true for other formats. Uh, I suppose this, this is literally the only experience I had in this format. So um, I guess you know, as 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 we learn more about it, maybe this will not be the case. You know, as people discover what the best deck is, what the best strategy is. Um, so at least in sealed, the games felt slow enough that I could do this. Um, you know, I, I could do this without losing too much. Um, yeah, maybe yeah, maybe in other formats, if bag holding was printed in I don't know big clan, you know, it would not be good enough. Um, but uh, yeah, in my, in my experience it was it was definitely very very good. Um, so yeah, I also had oh there was um, another bomb I had was the four mana four four flash wolf oh. from Shadows. I'm gonna say was it? Um, what uh, flash wolf that gives night pack night pack? What is it? Butcher? Night pack. Yes. Butcher? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That's that was always very very good. I had a lot of wolf synergies. Um, so yeah, I, I so one more combo was bag holding and that minotaur, and another one more combo was uh, wolf. What it's called? Wolf Pup and uh, the the 2-3 Raptor that does 2 damage everything that comes in. Uh, those are two cards I should not have played together, <laughs> but I did. Uh, a lot of my creatures were pretty big, um, so it was fine. Um, but uh, yeah, so I won't bite my hand had those two cards. I was like, oh, I have I have made a mistake. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I ended up going 3-2 in the end. Um, yeah, I went 3-0. Then you know, in the last two rounds, I just played against like, very, very strong decks. Uh, I felt like the power level of my deck wasn't necessarily that high. It just had I basically just had I just had bag bag of holding and a curve uh, was what I relied on. Um, that yeah, I was playing just big creatures every turn. Um, so yeah, so the the, the bomb so the bombs are very bomby. Um, the curves are very curvy, and the bag is full of cards. Lovely. Have you did you see many people playing two color as opposed to three color, or what was the split there? I think I now one of the rounds I lost was against a guy who's playing four colors. He had um 
Four quarters. No, still early. Sorry, he's playing. Yeah, playing four quarters. Mad lad. So he's, yeah, he was playing. Um, do you know the artifact that uh, the artifact guy who gets a land and has a Uberg activated ability? Oh yeah. Well, um, you're going. So he's playing that, but not. If you're doing that, yeah. why would you not be five colors? Exactly. Yeah. So he, he I guess, it, 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 wait, well, I talked to him afterwards. Wait, what it was? He said, yeah, he had all the colors except for red. Um, I guess he he had like the dual land. He wouldn't be able to play red, but he's already playing. Like he was already playing. Um. Like something really close, like six Julans or or something like that. So he felt like he couldn't he couldn't justify adding the other one. Um, he was he was very slow. He's kind of yeah, a blue black base, uh, a kind of a yeah, slow deck loss removal uh, base was blue black. Um, he chose to be on the draw. Um, in games which I think made sense for for his deck. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's it's a very disciplined thing to do is to the to have the to have the ability to splash red for that activated ability uh, of the card. Um, and choose not to play it because you have too many tap lands. Uh. Okay. I mean, that's another thing that I think I would never do in Limited. I, I would just never play a deck of that description, ever. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, maybe it's a... You know, I, I didn't see the, the, this detail. Like, I, I couldn't say if I had the same pool, I'd do the same. Um, you know, there could be biases this player has for it's uh, doing next like this. Um, well, the, the deck functioned well against me. Um, he had a, he had a the very powerful wombo combo of the blue... Um, the, the blue Cavalier and the Bobbing Wilds. <laughs> very Storm Shuffle. Wonderful. Oh, that, did, did he actually do? Well, it? Yeah, I don't anymore. No, he didn't. He didn't actually do it. No. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but uh, he, it was something he could have done, and perhaps had done in other ends. All right. But um, <laughs> yeah. So I suppose yeah. That uh, I don't know how representative that four for the deck is in terms of kind of what we want to do. I know um, guy beside me had opened. Uh, he, he opened the Sultai Mythic um and Chandra, uh, six six mana Chandra. Uh, he ended up playing and ended up playing Nidradum. So I guess that says a lot about uh. I guess it was, I suppose win, but it's aggressive. Too, I suppose that's in this player's case, he didn't, um, you know, he, he, he didn't mess his van up to play um, these, uh, you know, very very powerful cards. Uh, I, ended up, I, ended up, I ended up playing against this player in the last round. Uh, you know, before the game was starting, I was like, oh my god, I saw the bombs. He's he has opened. This is gonna be very very difficult. And he he was playing neither of those two bombs, but his deck was very 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 good um, either way. Uh, he was playing um, yeah, green black. Uh, he had um, yeah, those you know, was very strong. Um, Elemental synergies uh, within that. Okay. Uh, so I guess so. Yeah. You know, these, these are all. I guess they're, they're very different experiences. Uh, these are all you know, just once-off experiences. But I guess we have. Yeah, we have one player who's making. You know, is playing all the colors, play all the all the bombs of the deck. Had a very good deck. Uh, and another player who basically chose to have a curvy synergistic deck rather than smashing for expensive bombs. Um, and both of those strategies were very very good against me. Um, perhaps perhaps <laughs> those are both viable strategies, uh, or maybe. Uh, my deck just wasn't good enough for <laughs> Bag of holding, not doing it. Didn't get there. I know. Um, not. I I find that strange. Uh, th- th- that's two things actually that I want to go back to from from those players. So the he he opened the Sultai Mythic and Chandra. Yeah. And then he yeah. ended up playing a green black deck and didn't splash for the Sultai Mythic. Yeah, exactly. When, when I when I saw him play green black and doing stuff with element, uh, elementals, uh, I was expecting you know. Uh, uh, this will black water to come down any minute to to, to cast uh, to cast a uh, yogark <laughs> yeah. laurel laurel hardy yogark <laughs> the, the sultai mythic um but uh, yeah he didn't and i was talking to him afterwards he said he didn't play it yarok um yarok that's what it is um that's... yeah and, you know and, and it's like you know it, it's it's a pre release people are trying different things um it's it's you know i guess it's a uh, like i said i don't know how i represent the these two experiences i guess our three experiences between me and these two other players uh, I don't know how much this represents this format. Um, I guess I'm really itching to play more of it because I feel like, despite having you know, you played in a pool, played five rounds, I still feel like I'm not entirely sure what's going on. 
Um, all I know is that <laughs> I can say with confidence so that uh, bag holding is very, very good. All right. And then I just want to go back to the other player with the with the four color deck. So I didn't even this didn't even register at the time, but it's come back to me now. So he's playing Cavalier of Gales in this four color deck. That is correct. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I yeah, that 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 yeah, that is true. That is triple triple blue. I'm trying to remember. Um, it's I think it really was just base blue back. Um, and it had I think he had one planes and uh, dual lands to splash for. Yeah, he he had a green temple, a blue green temple. Um. I can't remember off the top of my head what the actual green and white cards were, but um, I do not know. Okay, well, respect to that person. Very brave. Uh, Kieran, what was your experience? Yeah, so uh, I just played one uh, sealed on Arena so far. I didn't get to play a pre-release, unfortunately. But I just opened like a pretty terrible pool. Uh, I just had pretty much all unplayable rares. So my best card that I splashed for was the Uncommon Chandra. And uh, my only rare that I played was a Temple of Triumph, which I used to splash the uh, the Chandra, even though I wasn't playing white. So I just played it as a tapped mountain that let me scry one. That was that was, that was was the most I got out of my rares. So I, I just played like um, a sort of grindy black-green deck um, that was just trying to get some value and, you know, hopefully just win the game. The only way I really had to win the game was the uh, seven drop, the five green green, five five reach that makes two wolves. I'm not sure what it's called. Uh, and that was enough to win me some games. So I managed to scrap a three three with that deck um, playing against pretty much pretty much all better pools than me. So I was pretty happy with that. I like the format. It seemed good. It seemed, seemed more fun to me with my little bit of experience than I usually feel about core sets. So I kind of like that and I'll be happy to play it more. But I'm I I don't really have that much to say about it at the moment, to be honest. You know what I mean? I just don't have that much experience yet. Yep, totally agree. I'm in the same boat. I have not touched the limited format at all, so I'll I'll wait until it comes to the ranked draft on Arena to to jump into that. Yeah, that's how I feel too. Yep. All right. So maybe we'll give some updates on that next week. Do you do you know when that is coming to Arena? The ranked draft of that format. I think the best of three draft is like tomorrow, but I'm not sure when the rank draft is coming. Mm, okay, okay. It'll probably be like another week or something. Yeah, most likely. All right. Okay. So let's move on to standard, where I do know lots of the cards from the set and have played with and against many of them. What what have your been your experiences in standard so far? I know, uh, Kieran, you've made quick mythic this this season. Yeah, um, I decided at the start of the season I just wanted to get Mythic as fast as possible. So I just jumped in, uh, built a Simic Nexus list, um, and just like, to be honest, absolutely dominated the ladder. I went from Platinum 4 to Mythic in three or four days or something like that. I'd say, about, I'd say like less than less than less than eight hours of gameplay i would say just like uh like playing a couple hours each day i think my win rate was like definitely above 70 percent. i didn't track all my games but i'd imagine it was like 70 72 percent something like that um i think nexus is really good at the moment uh temple of mystery is just such a huge upgrade for the deck it's just absolutely ridiculous getting to to scry on turn one combined with the london mulligan like temple temple of mystery plus london mulligan just make your opening hands and the, the start of your games just just 10 times better than they were last season it's it feels like a completely different deck to be honest um because of the temple of mysteries i decided to cut um opts from the deck because what i figured was now that i'm playing a bunch of temples they're going to come in tapped on turn one my check lands are also going to come in tapped more often because i'm playing less basics because because i have to include the temples so i'm just going to have less spare mana to cast opts and i'm not going to be able to cast it on turn one as often 
so I decided to just ditch them from the deck entirely. So I replaced them with Shimmer Possibilities, which is the two mana Sorcery Speed Impulse. That card has been absolutely brilliant for me, and I was really surprised how good it is, to be honest. Um, it, it just lets you find your, your combo pieces a lot easier, and you kind of don't mind spending the extra mana so much usually, because basically with the Temples getting you the extra scries and the London Mulligan, you pretty much have Wilderness Reclamation on turn four, like every single game is what I found. Um, apart from that, new cards that I put in the deck, I put in two Drawn From Dreams, so I've cut Chemister's Insights for Drawn From Dreams. Um, the, the link to the deck list that I made Mythic with is, is on our Twitter, by the way, so you can see the exact list I used there. Um, but Drawn From Dreams has been really good, so this is the 4-mana Sorcery Speed Dig Through Time. Uh, it gets around Narset's ability, which is really nice, and like looking at the top 7 in this deck just always finds you what, you what you need, whether that's a Nexus and a Root Snare, a Wilderness Reclamation, you know, and a Tamiyo, you know, just a land and and anything else, you know, it, just, it basically just like, it just always gets you there. Um, so I've been super impressed with that card. And then I've just, I've cut Nissa from the main. I've never liked the Nissa that much in Nexus. And it, to me, it just always feels like more of a liability than than a help. So I just cut that. I'm just playing a Callus Dismissal as a win condition in the main. Feels totally fine. Uh, then in the sideboard, I kind of forgot about these cards when I was building the deck. But uh, Aethergust and Veil of Summer should definitely be in the sideboard. That's when I play the deck again now, I'm going to add them. Those cards are both just amazing sideboard options. Um, then apart from that, I wasn't really playing anything new in the sideboard. I don't think it, it was pretty standard. But I found basically like no, no one's been playing Esper very much the last while. Um, so I haven't run into I didn't run into that many Teferi decks, which is the reason my why my win percentage was so high. Um, so and then when you did, you know, it was the games are still are still quite winnable. So I think Nexus was a really good choice, and it got me to Mythic pretty handily. I, I, I queued into Mythic at rank sixty eight. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I I had some initial success with uh, with Gruel, like a dinosaur version of Gruel, um, with Marauding Raptor and stuff like that. And then I started to, so I got a loyal, I got up to platinum one. I was like maybe a game or two away from diamond, and then I just started to lose and lose and lose and lose and lose and lose, all the way back down to the bottom of platinum. And so then I picked up your Nexus list, and I was trying that and again it was kind of the same thing i was like sometimes winning sometimes losing but like the metagame just seems kind of all over the place you really can't prepare for for what's coming at you because there's just so many different decks now there's like 25 different decks that you could be playing against like like elementals obviously uh, as a deck has exploded in popularity people are are into it but there's literally there there's about 10 different variations of elementals yeah um, people are definitely trying to figure out what the best shell is for Risen Reef. I think most of the lists people are playing are pretty terrible, to be honest. And honestly, that's probably a reason why I was winning so much was ne with Nexus, was I was playing a lot of these mid-rangey Elementals decks, and they just don't do anything against you when you're playing Nexus. You just go over the top of them and, and crush them pretty easily. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Unless it's like a really aggressive version with Creeping Trailblazer or something like that, then they probably are not able to kill you before you're able to combo off. Honestly, I don't. I don't even think those decks can kill you fast enough. Like that Trailblazer card just is not very, very fast. You know. True. True. Like, I just feel like you're going to have your fog set up and stuff like that. Like I think White Weenie and, and Burn were definitely my worst matchups. Um, and I was seeing a decent amount of them. I was. I definitely probably had slightly less than fifty percent win rate against those matchups, and that and that was what was felt worse to me. Well, I think the the good thing about that is that I think uh, I think the teamer teamer decks. And those those mid rangey decks have a pretty good matchup against mono red 
because a lot of them are using Wildgrow Walker and Jadelight Ranger for that synergy uh, because Wildgrow Walker is an elemental, as we pointed out and immediately dismissed in our discussion of uh, elementals before the set was released, but it's actually proving to be fairly important. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Risen Reef is just busted. Huh? Risen Reef is just busted, is what I totally missed, basically. Yes. Well, yeah. Like, the second, as soon as you see somebody play a second Risen Reef onto a board that already has one, you're just like, oh, okay. Uh, well, That's I lose. Yeah. I lose this game then. Or an Omnath onto a reef, uh, onto a, uh, a board with a Risen Reef. I mean, there's just, there's not yeah. that much removal running around. So it feels like the, the Risen Reef just always gets, gets money. And then even if you're playing like like Goblin Chain Whirler is is kind of the natural foil to Risen Reef, but if you don't have it right then and there, I mean even even then they they get their value, uh, and then if you don't have it, you know they could have an Omnath next turn, and then they're putting a land into play and putting a counter on the Risen Reef, and now it's you know out of range or whatever. So things things get out of hand very very quickly with that Elementals deck. It absolutely floods the board, especially some of the more all in versions with like. Chandra or like Scampering Scorcher is one that I've seen. That's a that's a bit too all in for my taste. I think. Yeah, I I think that card is like if you're gonna play the deck, I think it's fine just to get triggers off Risen Reef. But I just don't like playing these cards that like when you don't have your Risen Reef in play, they're just like embarrassing magic cards that you just can't put in your deck. You know what I mean? So I'm tr- when I'm building these elementalists, I'm trying to just only put in magic cards that I'm at least okay with casting without a Risen Reef in play most of the time. Yeah, the the elementals list that that I've liked the most, to be honest, actually are not the teamer ones. I I quite like the Sultai lists. So they basically use more or less the Sultai midrange shell from from previous seasons, but then also with Risen Reef and Yarok, the the five mana Sultai legend. So once once Yarok is in play and a Risen Reef is on the board, then you're doubling all all the Risen Reef triggers. And then e- even if you think about something like uh, if you have a Wildgrow Walker and a Jadelot Ranger comes into play, you're getting four Explorers, which is 12 life straight away off the off the Jadelot Ranger uh, and Wildgrow Walker combo. So that, that gets pretty insane. And then like the Yarok itself is also just an impassable wall for most decks. Uh, so it's a 3-5 uh, Death Touch lifelink, so pretty great. That, that's why I was having some success with Gruul, because it was a, a Domri's Ambush-heavy uh, form of Gruul, so like the straight-up put-a-counter and, and punch rather than a, 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 an actual fight seems quite good in this format, I think. But then if you're playing cards like Domri's Ambush in your deck, you're going to be a dog to Nexus, I think. Yeah, you definitely are. Yeah. One of the things that yeah, I'm really enjoying with Nexus is, or not Nexus, I mean just blue-green decks in general. I'm playing a different blue-green deck. I'm playing Simic Manipulation at the moment, and I'm having some decent success with it. Um, almost back up to the top of Platinum, thankfully. Uh, but yeah, the the interaction between Temple of Mystery and Growth Spiral just always feels so good. Yeah, it's it's busted. Also, Temple of Mystery and Tamiyo, where you scry to the top and then you you know you can guarantee draw the card off Tamiyo Plus is really nice too. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Once my, my opponent immediately conceded. So like I topped a Wilderness recommend- Reclamation and then and then Plus with Tamiyo. My opponent was just like, yeah, concede. Yeah. But yeah, definitely the um the Growth Spiral one is just just feels like you're doing something that's that's like absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I've been playing, um, I guess, a, a something similar to what Wolf was describing, but I've been Playing that something like this, Flash and Red for Omnath, so I'm playing both Omnath and Yarok. 
Um, and it's something that I was kind of looking to do uh, because yeah, you know, four quarters, and I was like, wasn't sure if I was going to use them. You're right, four quarters, so I wasn't sure if uh, the payoff and getting was was worth it. But it's like Omnath just works so well with uh, with Yark on so many different levels. Um, because you're um, yeah, first of all, yeah, you you could just have any kind of a board and you just play if you have any kind of a board with Yark out. Sometimes you just play Omnath and just you know, don't them for six. Um, or just shoot down two creatures. And then as well, yeah, it also you're also getting two triggers then off your your land your landfall triggers. Uh, so you're putting two counters on two different things, or you're drawing two cards. Um, again, yeah, like, and then Riz Reef is, yeah, like we said before, you're getting two triggers off Riz Reef. Um, sometimes you're going, you'll turn three Riz Reef, you get a land of play, uh, and then, sorry, turn three Riz Reef, you get a land of play, then turn four, play Yarok. So kind of creatures, I suppose things like, if you were to look back at, like, say, a Pan- Panamonicon in the past, it's like the turn you play Panamonicon, it's like you're kind of taking the turn off, you're playing this enchantment, you're tapping four lands, putting this artifact that's going to have a powerful effect later on. But I guess because Yarok, yeah, it costs one mana more. Um, you know, you're, you're you're kind of getting value straight away because you've got a reason to play. You're getting you're getting the triggers, but also it's like like we've said, like a, a, a three five death touch lifelink has such a huge impact uh, on a lot of the boards. Um, so I guess basically, yeah, while I was playing the deck, I just started to notice like loads of little kind of interesting things. Um, I you know, I I didn't realize, but uh, I was getting two. Uh, but I, I played the temple. I got two triggers off it because yeah, the scry trigger is a permanent enter. Uh, so Yark gives you two scries off temples. Yep. Um, so I've been having uh, a lot of fun with this deck. I think, yeah, so again, something that's kind of drawn me towards builds like this is, I guess, the interaction between Assassin's Trophy and Risen Reef in terms of Risen Reef. Because Risen Reef is providing you with such a mad advantage, uh, the downside of casting Assassin's Trophy is really, really mitigated. Um, so it's, it's it's not too much of an issue if your opponent's getting an extra land when you've already you know, ramped out so much. Um, and it's just, I'm, I'm just, every time I play Risen Reef, I feel like I... I I just learned something more about it. I just realized more and more how absolutely busted it is. Uh, at one point, I, I was playing the all-in cheaper deck uh, that we mentioned with um, you know, with with the, the bad cards. So yeah, even though you're playing these bad cards, and yeah, even though they don't do much when you don't have Rizzy play, like, but when you do have Rizzy from play, it's you're you're adding to the board. You're putting pressure on your opponents. You're you're attacking them. You're you're, you're creating a big board presence. But you just constantly have um seven cards in your hand. Uh, it's it's kind of like I know these decks are soft to removal or soft to chain order, um. But I guess if you, if you have managed to go off even a little bit, it's it's your hand is just full. And I guess like a quote unquote downside of drawing so many cards in the early game is that you can't um you know you, you can't you can't do much with them. Uh, but because Risen Reef provides both card advantage and a mana advantage, uh, you do have all the mana you need to cast all the spells in your hand, and you're just drawing more. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. You're you're playing Chandra Acolyte of Flame, and you're not playing any instants or sorceries because you're just happy just to minus or just to zero Chandra every turn, get two elementals. Uh, draw two cards or ramp twice. Ah, but what if you're playing my team or elementals deck with Neoform in it, and then you flash back Neoform to make more Risen Reefs with Chandra? Oh, tell me more about this. I mean, that's Neoform. Okay. Yeah, I'm playing. I'm playing Neoform and uh, and Vanifar in the deck, so I'm playing like the um, playing the Explorer creature shell for Wild Grow Walkers, for Branch Walkers, for Jade Light Rangers, and then I'm playing a couple of Neoforms, a couple of Vanifars, and a Spark Double. So basically, just you can turn your branch walkers your, or your wild grout walkers or your leaf kindreds into risen reefs, uh, and then you can turn your jade light rangers into spark doubles to copy another risen reef, and then uh, you can also tutor up an omnath to uh, to kill something or win the game, or you can spark double an omnath to get a second omnath onto the field. So it's been pretty fun. That's pretty mental, yeah. <laughs> Those seem pretty nice. I'm not winning that much with it. I'm not going to say it's good, but it's fun. Okay, fair enough. Uh, the the four color elemental deck that that you're talking about there, all with the with red 
so you can play Omnath yeah. and Yarok is the one. So that that's I first played against that when I first switched to Nexus. It was the first game that I switched to Nexus, and I was just about to combo off. My opponent had like no board presence at all, but they had played Arisen Reef and they managed to ramp a little bit. And then so the turn before I was about to combo, like I had everything assembled. I had I just hadn't found a, a Nexus the previous turn, but like I had a Tamiyo in hand. I had a transformed as Kanta. I had the Wilderness Reclamation on board, and then my op- opponent played um, the six mana Chandra. Dear God! So that was the end of that. And then the second game ended exactly the same way. So I was like, "Well, uh, screw this deck. I'm never going to play this again." No, I, I continued to play Nexus for a while then. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think if you are going to play that deck or 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 just just Risen Reef and Yarok together, one one important point is that like. Risen Reef can can directly ramp you into Yarok. It's it's not a it's not guaranteed, but it can happen. So that that's a quite a nice interaction, I think. So if Risen Reef hits the land yeah. off the top, and then you have a land in hand, or you draw a land, then you can play the Yarok next turn. Yeah. That, how are you guys actually winning the game with this Yarok deck? Once you like you know get a huge board and draw your deck and stuff, what's the what's the win con after that? You attack your opponent. Yeah. Like all your all your creatures are quite small, right? Uh, you can cast a massive Hydro Crisis. Yeah. Oh, you have Crisis. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. works. Yeah. I think it, yeah. it often has Cavalier of Thorns as well. Not always, but I think the Straight Soul type versions often have Cavalier of Thorns or Cavalier of Night also. Okay. I have a Cavalier of Gales in my uh, Vanifar deck. Actually insane. All right. I suppose that's easier for you to cast as well if you're Vanifaring and, and Neoforming. Yeah. So you can. Uh, so it's pretty sweet because. When it dies, you get to shuffle it back into your deck and Vanifar it out again, which is pretty nice. Uh, Cavalier of Gales is also super good with Risen Reef because you can brainstorm two lands to the top and then just put them into play with Risen Reef as well, or the Explorer creatures. So that's been pretty nice. That is uh, the, the only The only Cavalier that I haven't seen in any deck so far is the red one. So I was, uh, I was correct about that. I guess so, I guess so. Uh, but I, I have, I've seen the black one and the green one the most, and then I've seen the blue one and the white one once each. I think. I think the blue one is one of the best. I think it might be the second best. It's just so huge as a five-five. It really surprised me. I think that the maybe the right deck is not there for it yet. I guess. I think it doesn't really. I just yeah. The decks. I can see that. I thought like the brainstorm was not going to be that powerful, but like even just jamming one into that Vanifar deck and seeing what I could do, like the, those little inter- interactions I mentioned with, with the Brainstorm has actually made me think, oh, maybe this effect is actually a lot more powerful than I thought it was. And the fact that it's just tacked onto a 5-5 five, five flyer is just so sweet. Yeah, I mean, you're always up a card. So it's like better than draw a card, right? It's like a, go- a good deal better than draw a card. Oh yeah, it's way, way better. So the deck that I've been playing now recently that I'm pretty happy with, I think I'm going to continue to see if I can play it, is the Simic Mass Manipulation deck. So it's 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 a new version. I think it's pioneered by Cho. I think think he's the person who put it together. Uh, but basically it's using a new card from M20, Voracious Hydra. Do you, do you remember that one? I do. So this is the, the Hydra. Yeah, green, green, X, and then... Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you can so it comes in with with X counters on it, and you can either have it fight something, or you can double the amount of counters on it. So it's pretty good with ramp, and it gives the deck actual removal, which is 
quite fortuitous that this deck is getting removal at the same time that Risen Reef is also printed because it, you kind of need to remove Risen Reef. It's not very good to just steal it. And it's also like it's obviously very undersized for its costs. So it's, it's quite awkward in terms of the cost, like in terms of stealing it with Entrancing Melody. It's, it's difficult to do before it's had more than one trigger. And then um, you don't really want to be stealing it with a mass manipulation because it's an extra two mana then on your mass manipulation and you don't have that many ele elementals in your deck to trigger it. In fact, none, I think. I want to say none. Depends depends on your build, I guess. You might have some Cavalier of Thorns. But uh, yeah, so it's good to be able to deal with Risen Reef like in that way. And then sometimes like it's, it's really good that Voracious Hydra is not uh, dead if you happen to play against a control matchup or like Nexus. You can just start starting when you have four mana, which is often on turn three. You can just make it a four five, or even you know bigger. It can be can grow really really big really quickly. So it's just a good threat as well. It's not just removal. So yeah, I've been pretty happy with that, and I think it has good sideboard plans and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm gonna keep going with that deck. I did also dabble in this uh, this green red or Gruel Dreadhorde Arcanist deck that was posted on on Reddit. I'll probably link that in the show notes. Uh, have you guys? seen this no what's this one no so it's a it's a gruel deck but but using dreadhorde arcanist as a two drop um uh basically predicated around like how good damry's ambush is uh and i think it has reckless rage in the sideboard as well so it, it's kind of like you know it obviously has elements of the of the boros feather deck um but yeah just the the the, the good synergy is putting you do you using the Dombri's ambush ambush to put uh, a counter on the Dreadhorde Arcanist and then attacking with it and casting the Dombri's ambush again. Uh, so it seemed okay, but I wasn't super into it. Uh, I think there's a few different ways you could probably build it. Um, but yeah, I, I was not super into that one. Seems okay at the moment when, as we said, people aren't playing that much spot removal right now. So, but like if people do go back to playing a lot of cast downs and stuff, it sounds like you can get yourself two for one pretty easy with this deck, right? Yes, like you're basically playing like a combat trick. Yeah, yeah, that that did happen to me uh, one or two times. So, uh, you know, as we say, there's not that much spot removal going around right now, and if that's still happening to me the odd time, then what will happen when Esper starts to resurge or whatever? Uh, but yeah, it, the deck is also playing four shocks and four adventurous impulse. Or if you want to do a dinosaur version, you could play commune with dinosaurs. Um, I think that. The four shocks is is really key in the Risen Reef matchups because just being able to shock Risen Reef as soon as it comes down is, is very very handy, and then obviously being able to flash back the shocks for the next one or whatever. Yeah, this seems pretty nice. I played again. I've been playing against uh people have been playing like a Naya Dreadhorde Arcanist deck as well that I've been playing against a little bit. Yeah, but like Feather and stuff as well. And what's the green for? Uh, they're playing like Collision Colossus, I think, and Domri's Ambush. Okay. Yeah, that seems fine, but I I feel like if I was playing the feather deck, I'd just want to be as consistent as possible, keep it straight with red white. I don't don't think there's all that much benefit, especially. Well, I guess collision Colossus is kind of cute with dreadhorde Arcanist. You can flash it back, blah blah blah. But uh, I I feel like I would want to just be using like sideboard slots for like Fry. Fry is another sideboard card that I've been having a lot of fun with, shooting people's Lyras out of the sky or whatever, shooting shooting to fairies. Yeah, Fry is just a, a really solid card. Cerulean yeah. Drake, I've seen a lot of as well. Yeah, cards decent. Trying to think of any of the other cards I've seen. Shifting Ceratops, I've I've played and seen across from me. Shifting Ceratops is is not the truth that I thought it was. It's okay. 
It's just not. Yeah, people have been playing it a lot against me. I've been playing all these Simic decks and stuff, and I'm kind of never all that bothered when they play it. To be honest, I'm just like, sure, this, you know, this card's fine, but it's not like putting the hammer down on me or anything like that. I, there's usually just a way I can deal with it or win the game through it. Yeah, like it's yeah. okay in the in the dinosaur deck. Like if you can play it on turn three with the Marauding Raptor, that's quite good. But even then, you, you can't give it haste then. But most of the time, I'd rather play Ripjaw Raptor on that turn and get a card. So I don't know. It, it obviously has its uses and it's it's good. It's good that it's a, a main deckable dinosaur that randomly hoses people sometimes. It's good. Like it's probably another reason why we're not seeing that many Teferis right now too, right? Because like you can't bounce it and stuff like that. It's kind of slightly tough for them to deal with. They don't have cast downs. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, the the people that I play against, the, that I come up against, who are, who are playing Esper, I'm just playing against them, thinking, "What is wrong with you? Why, why is there no fun in your life?" I mean, I'm playing Nexus, so I can't talk. True, true. But at least you know you had a few new cards. Most of the Esper lists that I've seen have zero new cards in them, um, and I, I just haven't seen them being that effective either. Because I think Esper probably benefits. Like obviously, Esper Esper is highly customizable. It has that kind of best deck uh, aspect to it. But I think it also massively benefits from from a well known metagame. So I, th- I think playing it at the moment w- is is a bit of a mistake. I think we should probably focus on finding the other powerful strategies first before going back to Esper and seeing how Esper can react to those. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I think the last thing that we have is a tournament report from from you guys, which sadly is is about last standard. So it's it's about standard that doesn't exist anymore but that's okay i'm still interested to hear uh what what happened in the red bull untapped online qualifier and see what the tournament structure was like was it fun to play how did you guys get on uh so i guess i'll start so i played in the first qualifier which was on the saturday al was the next day on the sunday so i got up at 7 a.m because we had to register from 7 a.m to 7 50 and just having been involved in online tournaments before i just know that the organization isn't always the best and you always want to be in there just in case there's like technical problems or stuff or or it's difficult to register you know the system isn't working properly or something so i got in there straight away um the registration went really smoothly uh the face it site is pretty great i think like i didn't like registering was fine uh there were sufficient admins in the chat the whole time to answer people's questions which was great uh, it automatically sets up you know the match room for you and your opponent so you can communicate and record the results and stuff like that so that was pretty great um so i think the interface was really great and that went really smooth like i got all three of my rounds spoiler i didn't make it through my group but i got through all three of my rounds in my in my round robin four person group in under two hours which was excellent because even though the rounds were timed and officially they didn't start until the last round timer expired you were able to just find your next match and just start the game with your next opponent uh, by chatting to them so people were able to get all their matches done like really really quickly which was nice um it was, so that progresses like much faster than a normal paper tournament does where you have to wait for the entire rounds to complete to play the first couple of rounds because it's swiss so you need to know your pairings but if you but if you're in groups with each other you can just find someone else in your in your group and play them so that was really good um they don't totally have the system set up perfectly yet for Magic. There were still a couple of things in there that obviously referred to other games and stuff in the tiebreakers where it was like one of the tiebreakers was like 
dual matches won and everyone was like what is that and they were like oh don't worry about it we just set it up wrong and then as well you could only record the result between yourself and, and your opponent as one zero even though one of the tiebreakers was was games won so they set up the tournament wrong i don't know al if, if that was different on sunday if you could record your result as two one or two zero could you no so the, the fix i suppose it was an elegant fix uh the instead of changing the system they just put out an announcement that said uh in the chat, uh, say what the score was in terms of games. Yeah. So and they will manually they'll manually go in and take uh take, take that information from the chat and put it on their uh, on their system. Yeah. So, so that's what they had. Recording as one zero. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what they had to do on the Saturday too, but they only realized it after the first round when people started asking. So then they had to get people to go retroactively and put it in the chat and track people down and everything. So it was a little right. bit of a mess, but I don't think it caused any delays in the tournament or anything. And I got to say, props to the admins and the mods and everything for reacting to that quickly and getting on top of it. Um, I don't think it was that big, but because there were groups of, it was around grabbing groups of four, which means that multiple people can go to one in the group. It was really important to have the tiebreaker set up properly because you're going to get a lot of ties between peoples in the groups, right? So I got to say fair play for, I mean, that was a little bit of a, of a, of a snag, but fair play to the, to the admins for getting it fixed. Um, in terms of the direct challenge, that was pretty good. There's, there's a direct challenge, tournament direct challenge mode in arena now. Uh, which is what we were using at the the tournament rules didn't specifically state to use that um which i wish they had like but i think that's what most people were using anyway uh but overall for me it was a really fun tournament like i uh, my rounds didn't go that well i played grixis amass which i was kind of liking at the time but kind of uh well i i stream my games with a 10 minute delay to be honest i wish i hadn't even streamed with the delay anyway because it, it makes it too tough to interact with the chat and stuff like that i should have just streamed with no delay and if people wanted to stream snipe me so be it um but the games were good all my opponents were very courteous it was nice to be able to communicate with my opponents in the match room on face it and be able to say you know good luck and good game and nice play and, and talk to them after the game and stuff like that which you know, it's just a bit of communication that I think is missing from Arena at the moment because you only have the emotes, you don't have any chat. And I know people are toxic and they, there's a reason they do that and everything. But in terms of playing like a more competitive tournament, it was nice to be able to to talk to my opponents and, and, and stuff like that. I thought that was that was that felt good to me coming from other games where where that kind of sports sports personship, sports sporting conduct or whatever is is important to me. Um, so that was my tournament experience. I I got bodied and got knocked out in groups. Had to go for you all. Um, yeah. So I, I I was overall my experience was very similar in terms of uh, yeah I I I think the organizers did a very very good job. Um, on your last point, I I also enjoyed being able to talk to my opponents uh in in a, in a match room and talk about matches to comment comment on turn on turns and stuff. Um, it's something that I feel like it is something that I do miss for Magic Online uh, having that chat. Um, you know, even though sometimes yeah, people are toxic, people say some nonsense. Uh, but I, I generally would use it as as just you know talking about a turn or, or say nice play or, or starting a discussion. Um, but yeah, as for the tournament itself, yeah, like you, I, I woke up at seven, uh, I registered straight away, uh, I went down to centre to get a chicken fillet roll, but centre was closed, so I came back, um, played my first round. Um, yeah, so yeah, and, and yeah, like wait, you, wait, I did sorry, play my rounds very quickly. Hang on, it's seven a.m., but you're getting a chicken filler roll and not a breakfast roll. Explain yeah. that. Yeah, oh, I, I, I'm just a, a big, a big um, fan of chicken filler rolls. They are, they are absolutely beautiful. Well, um, what do you think about, about them? Um, I definitely as tournament preparation. Huh? As tournament preparation, how do you feel about this? I do not endorse a seven a.m. chicken filler roll in any way, shape, or form. Okay, good. Glad, glad someone agrees with me in this crazy world. Yeah. Sorry, I'll go ahead. I mean, yeah, I think it isn't like. There isn't like the idea that we should only eat certain types of food at certain times of the day, like so a hangover from um, 
the industrial revolution or something like that. I don't know. We, we, <laughs> we could go into into like why do we why what's wrong with you? oh you could eat uh, eggs poached eggs for dinner why not you know um but anyway no, uh, you can eat anything for dinner but you can't eat anything for breakfast that's where you're going wrong. <laughs> I, you can I, eat whatever I, you want for dinner. You can eat cereal for dinner, but you can't eat a curry for breakfast. That's just insane. Well, why not? It's it's it's, 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 it's too it's, much. I think it's, it's a capitalism no. thing. It, it says there's a man. Uh, so not, I, not everything I, is a capitalism thing. This isn't a capitalism. <laughs> thing. Listen, they're... your brain. No, your brain and your body can't accept that amount of flavor in the morning. In the morning, you need boring, flavorless stuff like porridge cornflakes because your body is not awake and aware enough to be able to deal with the barrage of flavors that you would get from eating you know a vindaloo you can't do that to your body in the morning it's just it's too harsh it would destroy your central nervous system but i think a lot of the research that's been done on how important breakfast is was sponsored by kellogg's and the idea that breakfast is the most important meal of the day is sponsored by the people who make said breakfast cereals mm. um don't believe the lies of of the of, of the man um you're saying so uh big cornflake is really responsible for <laughs> our, our belief in uh breakfast being the most important meal I, 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 yeah it is that's true that is true uh well they were they were also designed as a as a food to stop masturbation all right how does that work you know that? Oh, yeah <laughs> kellogg was a big like prude anti-sex guy and he developed cornflakes as like a as like an you know an unsexy food to like stop people's unchristian urges there's like a film about it it's pretty good oh my god because I think he was also a proponent for mandatory circumcisions. All right. For the same well, reason. For the same reason. Um, so yeah, that was that was my uh, Red Bull experience. Um, <laughs> I, I mandatory circumcisions. That's my turn of report. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'll go on. That's the episode. That's, that's the title of the episode right there. Mandatory circumcision. No. Um, yeah. So I, I did not get a breakfast roll that early because uh, Santa was closed. I came back and paid my rounds. Uh, yeah, like you, the rounds are very quick. I was actually, I was so close to registering Grixis Mass as well, because I've been playing, I've been playing it a lot like you. Um, I've seen the success you had here on, on a stream with the Grixis Mass, so I really like the list. Um, I was doing well with it. Uh, just the night before the tournament, um, I queued against Nexus twice, and I feel like matchups that I should, that should be good, because I have enough interaction, I have enough um, disruption, uh, but there, I, I just lost them very quickly. And I was thinking, like, it was, I feel like it was more so I didn't have a good handle on that particular matchup um, you know, at, at that moment. Um, so I, I end up, I, I, um, I, I, I was very quickly just changed to uh, Soulside Dreadhorde uh, right before the tournament. Uh, and I was really happy with that decision. Um, it's something I, I just know the matchups very well. I just know how, you know, how you, what I need to be doing in each matchup uh, with that deck. Um, yeah, so I went uh, yeah, I went 2 1 in the group stages. I uh, I destroyed Esper in round one. Um, I got crushed by uh, Phoenix round two. Phoenix is a very difficult matchup for for, um, uh, for Commander Dreadhorde. Um, and then in yeah, round three, I played against uh, Gruel, and I the, 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 the games against Gruel were like insane. That in both of my, in both the games I won, I was, I stabilized on like one, and then slowly kind of clawed back. Um, you know, lots of you know, ridiculous nonsense is happening, guys. You know, um, you know, at one point today, uh, you know, kind of like, sort of like casting down a Phoenix the response there, Dominic's ambush, then my next turn, uh, you know, being on six life, casting Commander Red Horde, going into two to get back a uh, uh Raska to minus and kill the token, and like so, it's like lots of nonsense like that. Um, so the match, matches are all very, very fun. And um, so then, in so the, the, games, the games were over. So the, the matches were over very, very, quite quickly. Uh, I went two one. Um, I guess I, I was still not entirely sure if I made it because I wasn't sure if there was draws because other, other games were still happening. Um, and I wasn't sure how good my breakers would be. I lost the second round. Then I guess in terms of breakers, like opponents, opponent match win percentage is going to be kind of different to a Swiss because in a Swiss you kind of know that yeah you want to if you lose early you're. Opponent matchup percentage is going to be lower because you're paired down against uh, opponents who've also lost. 
then I guess yeah, in this in in um, in round robin, that's not that's not the case. So I was kind of not entirely sure. Uh, so I went down to Centra. Um, Centra was open, but uh, the deli was not prepared yet. So I had to go to uh, a spar, which I got my chicken filler roll, and I had chicken filler roll for breakfast. Um, you know, because you know, sticking it to the man, sticking it to Mister Kellogg, um, and and his nonsense. Uh, so I came back. Uh, I was I was quite a big actually, and ended up being quite a big break between uh, the. Uh, the group stages and the uh, single limb. Uh, I think we recorded we recorded last week's episode uh, in between that gap um, from about like ten o'clock to one o'clock. Uh, so then, yeah, single limb started off at one o'clock. Uh, I played against. I had an absolutely absurd match against uh, Esper, where uh, I crushed in game one, game two. This is Esper control. Uh, game two, they beat. And then uh, game three, I just felt like I, I just had hand disruption. I had like all the removal I needed for the threats. They had a, quite a threat, uh, threat and uh, a threat light hand. Um, I think as I took you know, Teferi's out of hand, I was, I was able to kill a liar that came down on turn five. Uh, and then basically I just was in complete control of the game and I was like, there's no way I can lose this. But I guess, unfortunately, kind of my, the culmination of my control of the game, my, my control of the game culminated in me uh, ulting Braska. Um, but they had, they had wiped the board before I could do that. Uh, so I had a Braska emblem and I had, like, I had, I had Planeswalkers in play. I had so many outs just to do one damage to them. Um, there's one point when, I think there's one point where I was quite, I was quite deep in my deck. Uh, I hadn't drawn Anissa yet. Um, I had Tamio out. Uh, I just plus Tamio naming Anissa. Um, and I was like, if I just draw Anissa now, I've won. Because uh, I know they have no answers in their hand. Uh, they, they're like, they have no cards in their hand. They're not just hope you're in time. And then they, like, my opponent at the time just played absurdly well to stay in that position, to stay in control. Uh, I didn't draw Anissa. They they slowly came back. Um, I think they eventually, they had to got two to Perry's down. Eventually, they just cast a very big um, Elder Spell to, to you know, put a whole lot of Kendrick's on their big Teferi. And then ultimate big Teferi. And then even like I was still playing the game out because I was like, I just need one creature to stick because they had no cards in hand, uh, but they had a <laughs> they had a Teferi or Teferi emblem. So um between the Teferi emblem and the uh Braska emblem, uh they eventually won. Uh it was it was very, very close. And afterwards I was like, Oh my god, that game was incredible. And it was great that I was able to talk to my opponent immediately afterwards, uh, to be like, Oh my god, what the hell was that? That was amazing, you know. Um it was, it was something I haven't done online in a very long time because uh yeah, like I said, I'm you know, I guess I'm, I'm playing a lot more arena than I'm playing uh, Magic Online. Something I can do Magic Online, but now because of this tournament structure and because of this tournament client, uh, yeah, you can you can talk to bonus after match and you can discuss uh, discuss certain stuff that happened. Um, yeah, so I guess yeah, it was it was disappointing. I guess I think at one point I said to Wolf, uh, what we're recording, I said, uh, you know, I think the worst thing that can happen is if I if I have to wait all the time for a single limb to start and then lose that quickly. Uh, but I guess because the game was so good, um, you know, I kind of even though I lost, I came away with a positive experience. And um, yeah, I guess it's just a fun. It was definitely just a, a fun thing to do on a Sunday. You know, it's a good excuse to wake up early uh, on a Saturday, Sunday. And I was like, you know what? I've got the whole day ahead of me. Um, then, uh, yeah, so, that, that, so, so that's it. So something that, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, something that I'd happily do. I guess in this case, it was free. It was kind of, you know, it was invite. Uh, but it, it's something that, it, it's something that I'd happily kind of, you know, you know, um, you know, pay an entry fee for in future to do something similar again. Um, so it's, it's, yeah. So oh. hopefully, hopefully we see more of these. Yeah, I would play these every weekend. Like I, I often play the Magic Online challenges at the weekend or whatever. And this is just like a much more streamlined, nice experience than that. And yeah, as you say, I would pay you know twenty quid or whatever every weekend to enter one of these and, and spend my Saturday afternoon playing some competitive Magic at home. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, would it's yeah, a lot less waiting around than um, than uh, Magic Online Magic uh, challenges. Uh, I have a trend that my my room always ends up being absurdly clean after I compete in a Magic Online challenge because there's so much stand time. Yeah, it's true. And by the way, to all the Americans complaining about the time zone thing for this, get over it. 
to be honest. Like every, all the Americans were like, oh, it started at midnight. They said these tournaments were geared towards Europe. The, the offline qualifiers were in Europe. Like not everything has to be America centric, guys. So get over yourselves, to be honest. I couldn't believe that. I can do all the complaining I saw about that. Yeah, God. And it's something that it's something you see that happen all the time, even when whenever there's pro tour, you know, not in the seats, uh, people complain about time zones. It's like, like you know, we have to, the, the planet is a globe. We need we need to have different time zones, different part of the planet, uh, in order for these things to work. Uh, was accepted. Uh, people are also kind of there, there was some kind of grumbling about other aspects of the tournament, and I was like, it's it's this is a free tournament. It's a it's you know, it's like that meme. Uh, it's a free house. It's free real estate. It's it's a free tournament with with prize payout is uh, infinite EV. I believe that's how EV works. <laughs> mm, well, I don't know. Your time is a cost, so. That's true. Well, not if you're not working. <laughs> true, true, true. Yeah, that is yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, yeah, it was it was it was uh, absolutely great experience. Uh, and I guess there there are some players you, you mentioned David Sharpson or you're on you're on it. Some players who are playing in paper tournament uh, in it's two different locations. Is it Brussels and somewhere else? I keep on getting them wrong. Florence, uh, Florence. That's where Eamon was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So it's it's this is a great thing. Uh, it's it's just completely brilliant that uh, that, that this free tournament has happened. Uh, people get to play no matter the magic uh, either on arena or. Um, in person it's so great yeah and Eamon put up a twitter thread uh we retweeted it i believe on, on the skull crack account uh with a few things from his experience what he thought of the venue uh it was cool apparently they had a bunch of like pcs set up so you could play arena while you're waiting around for your rounds and stuff like that which is cool it, it seemed like just a just a very nice event and stuff in general um so check out Eamon's uh Eamon's twitter post about that uh congratulations to him again for cashing he got a got a pretty nice payout. So we we already discussed it. He basically top aided a GP for like getting top thirty two or top sixteen, whatever whatever it was in this Red Bull two hundred person qualifier tournament. So yeah, let's hope these tournaments keep happening because that that seems like pretty sweet to me. Yeah, it's it's what you, you mentioned that uh yeah it's equivalent to top eighty GP, and I was like, no, it's not. There's no way that the 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 values work out that way. But uh, yeah, we looked at the fund. Yeah, it it is that. That's uh. I think it's. I don't know if that says how how great uh, this tournament is or how how uh, poor uh, GPs are. <laughs> it's a bit of both. Yeah, it's a bit of both. Well, I mean, it's different in terms of like Red Bull sees these events as marketing, and they're willing to put their their own money into it, into the prize pool and stuff like that. Um, which is something we've never seen before with Paper Magic. Just we didn't have these big sponsors who were willing to 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 create these events with such good value for players as a form of advertising for themselves because there was no reason to do it. Now that we have Arena, which is just such a big online accessible client, we're going to see more of these tournaments from Red Bull. We're going to see sp like sponsors that like make graphics cards and PC hardware and stuff like that. And there should just be more of these events all over the world constantly. It shouldn't. We now should not live in a world anymore where your only option is to go to a GP, pay out the arsehole to do it, and don't not even get a particularly good payout, even if you even if you do well. So I think this is the world that we're moving into now, and I'm very happy about it. I, I for one, welcome our new Red Bull overlords. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I think it's it's a point that people made before. When I think it's even before Arena, people are talking about how how could a pro tour become more like, or even say the box be more like esport. And I guess it's a when I'll point you touched on there is that a big thing. So yeah, a lot of these big esport tournaments have big sponsors. You know, like 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 still the hardware, computers, or graphic cards uh, manufacturers. Um, Sponsor them. That, that, that's a very uh, significant part of why esports are so big and, and why yeah, these, these payouts are so big. Whereas, like for a paper match tournament, like there's no equivalence. It's like, yeah, I, I guess it starts to be games are sponsored by Ultimate Guard and you can be sponsored. There's not opportunity for paper paper tournaments to be sponsored by 
um, get sponsored by accessories or other kind of you know magic related items. But like once it, you're once you're on and um, once you're using a uh, an online client you know, with computers, it's like that just opens up so many more options for, for sponsorship. And that's something that yeah, even in these relatively early days of uh, magic being sport, we're we're seeing it happen already. Yep, totally. I think it's totally a good thing. Death to GPs, I say. <laughs> no, not really, but you know. Well, long may it continue. Anyway, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we see a lot more of these in the future, and hopefully I get to play in one. That would be nice for me because I'm so far away. I don't get to play anything these days. Oh. Yeah. Next weekend I am playing in the the tournament that Alias V organized. The super spiffy tournament whatever it's called so that'll that'll be my first uh experience of an online arena tournament so i'll, I'll get sounds great report on that next weekend nice okay uh i presume we're wrapping up here i just wanted to mention before we do that the skull crack stream that, that i've been doing on twitch twitch tv slash skull crack which soon enough al will also be uh co co-streaming once uh, once we get your new streaming setup set up and probably yeah week or two hopefully um has been going really well uh thanks to everyone who's been tuning into the stream and everything while while i've been messing around and and get it going over the last couple weeks uh and we now are on the twitch affiliate program we hit all the requirements to get affiliate so now we can get subscribers on the channel which is awesome and we have like an emote i think we get more emotes and stuff soon and everything like that so it's actually turning into a proper little stream which is which is nice so check it out if you haven't already obviously i'm not asking anyone to subscribe uh like again like we don't have a patreon or anything for the podcast we've never been interested in really asking people for money or anything like that but if you like obviously if you want to support i don't think we can stop you (laughs) but uh we're not we're not gonna like we're not gonna be begging anyone to do so or anything but just thanks to i wanted to say thanks to everyone for checking out the stream and hanging out while i've been playing over the last few weeks it's been a new thing for me and it's been really fun sweet yeah i've enjoyed watching the stream i think you're i think you're a good streamer Thanks. Yeah, I've kind of I've surprised myself a little bit with how comfortable I am doing it. Like, obviously, I spent time doing the Street Fighter commentary and everything before, so I'm used to kind of just rambling and doing the podcast. Obviously, helps with that as well. Just used to rambling into a microphone. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's been fun. It's and it's more. It's fun for me when people are there hanging out. If I'm just sitting there and no one's saying anything in the chat and there's no viewers, obviously, it feels like a bit of waste of time. And you're like, why am I here doing stuff? But even when there's one or two people chatting with me in the stream. It feels like uh, like a good use of my time and just like everyone's hanging out, having fun. So that's been cool. Sweet. Yeah. So it's been pretty much a part of. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week uh, after we have discussed the future of competitive magic and we have broken down the uh, conventions of breakfast in the in Western civilization. Um, so if you want to get in touch with us, you can obviously tune into the stream as Kieran mentioned uh, twitch.tv forward slash skullcrack that's C-R-A-I-C uh, you can get us on Twitter I think you po- you post on Twitter Kieran, when you're going live do you or you tweet yeah I've started doing that more which I which I realize now is a good idea because several people have actually told me oh I just tuned in because I randomly saw the tweet and they don't even follow us on Twitter and stuff so it seems like it, Twitter is actually a good way to get an audience surprisingly <laughs> Yeah, so there's, I think, pretty sure there's a there's a big magic contingent on Twitter. So uh, if you're you're posting your interesting deck list up there, people will come and come and have a look. So yeah, so it's uh, twitter.com forward slash skullcrack again, C R A I C. You can email us skullcrackpodcast at gmail dot com, and that's gonna do it for us this week. Bye bye. Yep. Bye bye.
Okay, so uh, I think last week, uh, shortly after we recorded uh, this podcast, it was uh, the weather was absolutely beautiful, and I bet a few mates who went out for a few a few beverages in the sun. And um, while I was under the influences of said beverages, I made an impulse buy online, which um, is something I never do. And I was kind of I was kind of anticipating being uh, regretful of this purchase, but uh, when I woke up next morning, I was I was happy with it. So this was um, it just popped up randomly on my Facebook. This is a uh, Odd World Kickstarter. Kickstarter. There is a, a Kickstarter for a book collection, uh, a book and an art collection, and um, the Steam and um, Steam keys for the games. Uh, other thing called Odd World, Odd World Abe's Origins, which uh, I, I purchased and should be arriving in the post soon. So um, yeah, basically this is <laughs> this is a game I absolutely loved. I know you two guys have played it before as well. Uh, the Odd World, the Odd World series. Um, and uh, I, during the week when um, the servers were down for Magic Arena, so for the first time in ages, I played a video game, a video game that was not Magic Gathering. Uh, and it was uh, Overworld Abe's Odyssey, and um, it is it is an extremely difficult game. I am um, I you know it's like you, you know if if, you, if anyone's played this game is you know, from PlayStation but from the you know I think ninety eight or ninety nine. Um, I think it's the game. The game starts off really kind of holding your hand. You know the first few screens are kind of describing how to you know, press buttons and how to how to do how to do all the how to, how to you know, use controls. Uh, but I guess I was like trying to get the perfect game. I was trying to save all of the all of the good and saves. Um, so in the first screen, there's like a there's a secret. There's a, an entrance to, a, to like a secret room, which is kind of a secret puzzle. Usually, these secrets, secret uh, areas are very, very difficult. So I really just jumped into the game, not even knowing the, the controls and the keyboard uh, in this very, very difficult room, which took me a very long time to get out of. But I gritted my teeth and I, I was stubborn, and I eventually got through it. Um, so I guess I, you, so. I know you two guys have some experience with the series. Um, I'm going to put Kieran on the spot because Kieran, I believe you have the impersonation of of a. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've spent years honing my craft on this one. <laughs> what, do, what do we want to hear? You do want me to just bust out a few lines? Just, just, just bust out a few. I have a yeah. Wait one sec. I'll get up the uh, the lines he says. Well, I know you can do the uh, wait. So, <clears throat> Hilo, follow me. <laughs> Excellent. Wait. Oi, 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 oi. <laughs> that is that, that is that is pretty pretty spot on. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so so to, to celebrate this, to celebrate my uh, my very wise purchase, I I must now call. Um, I have a quick quiz for lion versus wolf, and um, for for those impersonations, uh, Kieran, you're going to start off at one point already. Nice, ah. I love it. This is fair. So this is this is as you have learned, all of these quizzes are fair. Um, I'm sorry, David, but uh, this this is how it is. Uh, so are you are you are you too familiar with the series or kind of an in depth knowledge? Uh, wouldn't say in depth, but I mean some. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar okay. with it. Yeah. Okay, so we've got some questions. Um, all right, we're gonna start off. Um, I guess because Kieran already has a point, <laughs> we'll start off with Wolf. Uh, you'll have to see three questions each in total. Um, all right, Wolf. Uh, the central conflict of Abe's Odyssey is sparked by scrabs and paramites being pushed to the edge of extinction, the brink of extinction. Uh, but what odd world species has already been made extinct at the time this game takes place? Oh, um, scrabs and paramites are already no scrabs and paramites are. Or what they're they're using now and they're running out. Is that what it is? And then there's yeah. An, yeah. another species that they used before that's now extinct. Yeah, there's, there's one, so there's one they've already run out of. Mm. Can you describe the way it looks to me? You actually don't see it. Uh, you only you only see kind of a cartoon drawing of it when it's uh, on one of its uh, posters mm. in Raptor Farms. I don't know. I'll, I'll pass. No, uh, on. You know? I don't think I know this either. No. Okay, maybe maybe it's quick too difficult. This is a uh, Meech. Meech Munchies is uh, is the product that's uh, at the very start of the game. It's a uh, you know, Abe was walking through and um, we were cleaning the floor with all the different posters. 
uh, he talks through um yeah meat munchies because the meat are screwed my my um my ape impression is not quite as good as Kieran's. <laughs> um okay so uh, in Abe's Exodus sorry this is for Kieran in Abe's Exodus who is the director of uh, Fico Depot I don't know either this is too hard for oh. me oh no uh, Wolf um what what's the what's the name of the race oh uh, Glucken Glucken okay um is he the big white one no he's not no I think that's from a different game okay there are there, there, there are three of them yeah I mean I remember that but I literally cannot remember their names yeah. uh the answer is Vice President Aslick <laughs> great name oh god oh, god you, you you two have obviously not spent as much brain power thinking about this uh, 20 year old game as as I have I mean um, I did at the time but not anymore <laughs> <laughs> that's fair okay these are I think these are going to be very difficult uh this one's for Wolf um all right, how many Udokins are in Zulag 1 of Rapture Farms? Zulag 1? Yeah. 19? It's the first level, you could say. Uh, it's not 19. Uh, Kieran? Is it 1? Is it just Abe? I don't know. Is it a trick question? No, no. Uh, it's 28 so far. None have been answered. Um, Do I get a point for this one? Is... No. Okay. <laughs> You're not. Uh, that's not how these quizzes work. Um, so this one uh, starts off for Kieran. All right, Kieran. Uh, the Mudamo were an ancient race of Mulakans who worshipped Paramite and their sacred animals, as their sacred animals. Uh, but what was the name of the tribe that worshipped Scraps? Um, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> David Wolf. What was the name of the ones that worshipped the Paramites again? Uh, Mudamo. Uh, Udomo. Oh, Udomo. I remember this. I remember reading the manual. The something on the Mudomo. Yeah. Oh my God. No, I, I, I'll never remember. Never. Uh, it's uh, Mudanchi. Mudanchi. Damn. Okay. Uh, so, never wolf. Um, what is the name of Abe's Mount in Abe's Odyssey? Abe's Mount. Yeah, I didn't know he had a mount. Got it. <laughs> oh God! You run around that game, don't you? It's a running game. Yeah, you got, you got like there's like a, a running running game. Uh, there's at one point you get a camel, uh, a camel thing. A camel thing is it not a? Do you do you sit on top of a, a scrab or a paramite or whatever? Or was that your guess, Wolf? Yeah, my guess was scrab. Okay, uh, you're on. No, I have no idea. I don't even have a guess. I don't, I don't remember this either, to be honest. Oh, my God. Uh, the answer is uh, Elam is, is the name. Um, oh, that kind of rings a bell. Yeah. You ring, yeah, you ring a bell to get him. Um, oh. I think I've gone too esoteric. I should have asked yeah, this <laughs> is your questions. All right, the last one. This is a good question. Um, I remember this question appearing in a uh, in a Total magazine from about 20 years ago. Total PlayStation magazine 20 years ago. I, I felt like this is a, an interesting, a nicely put question. Um, so this is for... Uh, Kieran, what is particularly odd about the titles of the first two Oddworld games? Um, what is particularly odd about the titles? So the titles are Abe's Odyssey and Abe's Exodus. I don't know. What is it? Okay, well, uh, Wolf, would you like to guess? Um, is it that the... <laughs> I think I'm going to make this a draw. I think I'm correct. It's that there's okay. extra D in both of them? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, yeah, both names are spelled with initial D, um, so they have the word odd in them. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Zach, it's very clever. I was, I was like, oh, that's great. Um, and I realized, uh, yeah, first one is Abe's Odyssey, uh, Abe's Exodus. Yeah, and, and, both, and both names are so kind of similar in terms of, like, you know, meaning kind of, you know, the ancient journey kind of, or ancient story um, in terms of ancient texts as well. I was like, oh my God, that's so, that's so clever. And then uh, the third game is called Munch's Odyssey. So it's like they ran out of, uh, <laughs> of other words to use. So they went back to Odyssey. Um, but, uh, well, that, that brings us to the end of uh, our very odd quiz where... Um, it is it is a it is a draw, uh, because because of Kieran's wonderful wonderful profession. Um, yeah, so 
I, I was going to start doing more quizzes of like really old games, um, but I guess uh, you two have have moved on from um, from this twenty year old game. I think uh, where I think this was like the I said habit. I think this was the advanced version. You need to give us like what's the name of the drink in Abe's? Yeah. yeah, true. I didn't even. I've never. I never even had a PlayStation. I only played this at Abe Sharpson's house. I think when I was a kid. So oh, really? it was oh, well, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I feel like I'm probably <laughs> at a risk of expanding this too long. Uh, I, I've had, um, I feel like I've, Abe's Odyssey had most, um, I was like 10 years old, maybe nine years old playing it. And I feel like um, it's a game that had the like, strongest emotional impact on me in terms of like a story, because uh, in the game, it's like, yeah, you have, you know, you can, it's optional to save these Wudokan slaves, you know, it's, the game is very, very hard. Um, so I spent a lot of time kind of, you know, getting through the game and I, I finished it. Uh, so I was like really happy I finished the game. But then you get like, if you don't save enough Wudokans, you get like the bad ending. And in the bad ending, Abe dies. And it's like, and it's actually, I, I, I watched the scene back um, recently, and it's actually horrific because uh, he's like, he's hanging on like over this kind of meat grinder. Um, and the bad guy, and uh, you know, the bad guys are, are going to, you know, yeah, put him in a meat grinder. And the uh, Budokans, uh, it cuts to like the, you know, the native Budokans are kind of, you know, they can see what's happening. They're like, oh, what we do? Will we save him? And then they all say, no, he didn't save us. That's just let him, let him die. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so then they, he's like, it's like, it's not like, you know, usually, you know, when a main character dies, they do it dignified and they do it, they say strong and, and like, I will not uh, cry for help. Whereas like in this, Abe is like, his legs are swinging. He's like begging not to be killed. And then they kill him and it's like, you know, screws him. And um, I remember, I remember just uh, after, uh, after playing that, I remember going downstairs. I was just an absolute, I was just absolutely shell-shocked by this experience. And um, I remember just like sitting down, sitting, going to the sitting room, sitting down um, uh, and my sisters were watching Top of the Pops. And uh, Steps, uh, version, Steps' version of uh, Tragedy was, you know, was playing. And now I always associate that song with, um, with the death of Abe. Oh, my God. Um, remember, Rick and, yeah, remember Rick and Morty when, like, uh, after Rick and Morty buried themselves and Morty walks into the sitting room with, like, his eyes wide, uh, he was staring ahead of him. It was, it was just like that. I can just imagine you saying this to your therapist, Al, and then being like, <laughs> I think you need to find someone else that can deal with this. Exactly, exactly. Uh, maybe... Yeah, so that's why I'm I'm determined to go back and uh, save all the Wudokan save to, to end this cycle. All right. <laughs> Very formative episode for you. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we can, yeah, so... I think we can all agree that the, the best Oddworld game was Stranger's Wrath. And that's the end of the episode. Goodbye. <laughs>